Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, a place for adolescent and family healing. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If your family is struggling and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their trained professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. I had projected all of my issues onto my husband, our whole marriage, and he had done the same. He projected all of his issues onto me. It's so stupid if you go, if he would just change or if she would just change, then I would. I'm like, you're giving away all of your power to someone who might never change, and you're choosing your peace to be contingent on somebody else's choice. That's just crazy. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Josh. I'm Jimmy. And we are so excited to have Krista Black Gifford with us today. Krista, thank you for being on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and Krista is a singer-songwriter. She is a speaker, blogger, as well as author. And her latest book is Heart Made Whole. Now, hold on before you talk about that. Yeah. Krista, what would yes. be a song that I would immediately recognize? <laughs> well, probably Forever by Carrie Job or One Thing Remains by lots of people. <laughs> I know. Of course. Like you're like not just like a, like you're like a songwriter. <laughs> well, I mean, I did write my first song on the tire swing in kindergarten. <laughs> So it has been a long journey. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. So her book, um, Heart Made Whole, really um, surrounds the loss of her child. She she survived just 40 minutes. Is that correct? Yeah, she had anencephaly. So she was born without her skull in the top of her brain. So she lived for 40 minutes before going to be with Jesus. And within that book, you discuss finding God in the brokenness and really how to stop avoiding old wounds and deal with them. Can you tell us about that? Well, I, you know, I'm a preacher's kid. I'm a, I'm a church kid. I grew up in the church and there was always this big disconnect between what I knew in my head and the pain that resided in my heart. I got saved on the trampoline at age three and, you know, I knew all the Bible verses, God loves me. This is the truth. But the pain that I had experienced is far overrided the scripture that I had put in my head. So I was serving this God out of a lot of duty, but not really knowing what to do with, you know, my first memory of life outside of the home being sexual. I mean, that'll screw you up. That that shatters your heart into a million pieces. And, you know, one in three people these days knows exactly what that feels like. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, for me, I'd always dealt with heart pain very incorrectly. And like most of us do, we numb it, we ignore it, we hide it. I got super religious. I got very busy for God. I did a lot of great things for the kingdom. If you looked at my Christian resume, it was on point. I looked like I had my ducks in a row, but on the inside, I was just dying. And so time and time again, just the need to actually numb that pain led me to addictions and, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever it was to numb. But then you got to put those away because you are in church. So food was the Christian drug of choice for many, many years. And I numbed and kind of checked out, didn't know how to stay present in the moment because the moment was too painful. Mm -hmm. So a couple months before I was 
set to give birth to my daughter in 2014. My husband and I, we carried all of our brokenness in our marriage, and I was in full-time ministry, and our marriage was falling apart. And so we made the decision, you know, we opened up Proverbs, and we, we said, okay, let's take stock in, like, the wisest guy other than Jesus, who said, above all else, guard your heart, because it determines the course of your life. And our hearts are broken, and they're breaking our family, and they're breaking our finances, and they're breaking our relationships, mm-hmm. and they're breaking our careers. They're breaking everything. And I didn't really know what my heart was. I'd read Jeremiah about the heart being deceitful and had completely cut it off, which, by the way, that scripture is not for people who the the Spirit of God lives on the inside of them. That was for unbelievers. So I had cut my heart off, and we actually moved to Texas. We packed up all of our stuff in L.A., put it into storage, and moved to Texas to be with my family and get some deep, deep inner healing and really go after, kind of face our pain move towards it. And the most beautiful thing happened, the place that I'd always avoided, which was all of my pain. I found that that was where Jesus was waiting for me on the inside of. He was waiting for me on the inside of my broken heart. Mm -hmm. And so I started building relational capacity with not a theory and not a theology and not a scripture, but the living word. And he became very real, more real than breath and putting me back together. So when my daughter died, when when I gave birth to this little girl and my heart naturally shattered into millions of pieces, instead of avoiding myself, avoiding the pain, I charged towards my broken heart, like a little boy named David charging towards Goliath going, if I do not stay connected to my heart and stay connected to love in the midst of this pain, it will destroy everything. You, you talk about moving towards your pain, uh, and in the counseling office, that's something that we discuss a lot with clients. Um, we so often, similar to what you described, we want to stay away from it. That's kind of the last place. In fact, we go to counseling to get rid of them. Uh, but there's, oh, so much, there's so much healing that can be found in the midst of it. How difficult was it to move towards the pain? Well, initially, it's very, it's very scary because it's the thing that you have actually been afraid of your whole life. You know, you've been afraid of your pain. I cut off my heart because I didn't want to deal with the trauma. And what's, you know, I I give this example in the book, but when, when I was little, my grandfather, we lived in West Texas and we had a tornado cellar and that thing was so creepy and it had a murdery, you know, single bulb light bulb and there were spiders down there. It was murdery? Murdery. It was just, you know, the single bulb light bulb and all the That's the perfect word. Perfect. It was just so scary. And I wouldn't go down there by myself. But when my grandfather would hold my hand, it was not scary to go down in that basement because he killed the spiders and he turned on the light. So I always say, you know, when you move into your heart, if you move into the pain of your heart without first connecting to spirit, first connecting to love, you're going to be really overwhelmed and you're probably going to be re-traumatized. So what I like to teach people to do, you know, I go into a lot of the biblical components of the heart. The heart is talked about in the Bible more than anything, more than forgiveness, more than love, more than obedience. And the spirit portion of the heart is the part where I connect to love first. So when I go in the spirit portion of my heart and, you know, I I couldn't do that as long as I, I was really mad at God. I For most of my life, I had gone through trials and put him on trial. You know, you let me be abused. How could you let this happen? How could you do this? So I talk about this in the book, but my my major breakthrough came before Goldie died, and I was screaming at Jesus, telling him how much I hated him. And instead of being zapped, 
you know, like I saw it so many times. He went, well, finally, I, you know, I already know you feel that way. So now we can move towards relational connection as opposed to you pretending that you're not angry and that you're religious all the time, just serving me because I'm supposed, you know, you're supposed to. So when I move first into that connection portion where I'm connecting to love on a daily basis, he can lead me and guide me into places of my heart without me being Mm re-traumatized. And so that's what I always encourage people to do. You got to get honest. Usually your first roadblock to moving into the temple portion of your heart, you know, we're always trying to find God on the outside of us. And I'm like, wait a second, hold on. You're a walking bomb of the presence of love. You're a walking bomb of connection that can never, Mm. that light can never be turned out. So instead of me trying to find God externally all the time, I just, I go internal. I go into the temple portion of my heart. I connect first with love. And then we move into maybe some ugly portions of my heart. It's not so overwhelming because he's the one who does a lot of the work and light dispels darkness. So he turns on the light. Mm-hmm. It was, um, I, I really connected when you were writing about, you know, growing up Christian and um, you kind of get this idea that uh, everything's going to be good because God's going to bless me. If I Kids go to sunshine, quarter, <laughs> yeah, you know, in the, in the envelope, then God's going to take care of me. And it, it reminds me of, uh, of Dobson's uh, old book, When God Doesn't Make Sense, when he talks mm. about the betrayal barrier that, you know, hey, yeah. God, I fulfilled my part of the bargain. Where were you? You know, you, mm-hmm. you betrayed me. And speak a little bit about that misunderstanding that if we love God and God loves us, then we're just going to be knee deep in blessing our whole life. This misconception. Yeah. We skirt over, I did, I read right over John 16, you know, in this life, you'll have trials. (laughs) Like, I don't want to hear about that. Um, I just want to know about the good stuff. And, you know, the thing for me, I I realized what was great, taking God um, off of the kind of perpetrator list of really the abuser. I had a very abusive God. He was very mean to me. And, um, you know, it was Santa, are you naughty or nice? Like, can I bless you or not? And, uh, you know, when I started really getting to my heart and asking honest questions, I realized, and the Holy Spirit just opened up this whole revelation in the garden of, you know, it wasn't what the will of God that Adam and Eve ate the fruit. That was not his idea. He wanted constant connection but out of his love of this good father, he knew it was going to happen. And he was the guy who devised this black ops rescue mission before time began named Jesus to re- reconcile all of us back into connection with father. Now, does that mean that we are now, oh, great, everything's great. No, we live in a, a wounded world where wounded people continue to wound me all the time where the greed of our government and, you know, of our, uh, I don't want to, I don't know, just, it, there's so much corruption. Oh, you in already went political. Oh, you did. You did it. You just I went did, political. I did. I did. went political. I did. You know, just what they're putting on our foods and what they're putting in our water. Sure. And, and then we get sick and we go, God, why? You know, at the end of the day, this was huge for me where I realized that the, 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 the abuse that I had sexually as a child and in my teenage years that I really had put God on trial for was so healing for me to realize, you know, God, out of his love for those people, gave them a free will and they made the wrong choice and I got hurt. And my God 
waits for me on the inside of the pain to redeem everything that was smashed about my life and then actually give me the capacity to forgive myself and forgive them and release something new, to release heaven in the midst of hell. That's releasing the kingdom of heaven onto, mm-hmm. to, onto earth. Because we live in hell. We live in chaos. We live where people are disconnected from love. We live where broken hearts happen every day. And so the more that I can connect with heaven on the inside of me, the more hell comes at me and it can't crush me. I can actually get the solution I need to push back on it and actually release the kingdom onto the earth. Also love that you uh, you said in times of loss, there are five things that people say that they should not say. Uh, oh, gosh. When, when my mom passed when I was 22, I probably so. If one more person would have said, you know, uh, you know, that God works in mysterious ways and he works oh. all things together for our good, I just would have oh, slugged yeah. them. And it's not that it's yeah. not true. Uh, what are those the five? Your top five, anyway. What are, What are those five oh, things people shouldn't gosh. say in times of I loss? I have about five hundred. Um, and the thing, let me just preface it with this: I, I don't get mad at the people; they're very well-meaning. And usually, the people who are trying to fix your pain have not dealt with their own. You know, you can only have the capacity for somebody else's pain at the level you've dealt with your own, which is why everybody wants to have the answers and put a bow on it and wrap it up. You know, but I, I think people say. I mean, people said silly things to me like, well, God knew that people needed to be saved at her funeral, <laughs> you know, oh, that people wow. needed to be healed because of her life. I'm like, do you realize that if somebody in our world, if there was a father and he killed one of his children so that his other child would get saved and go to heaven, that father would be put into prison. Sure. I mean, we have God's fathering nature on par with the criminally insane. It's crazy, you know, and then the, oh, God needed another angel. Well, no, she'll never be an angel. Angels, we're created beings. We're made in the image of God. We'll never be angels. Um, And then just the kind of the Romans, a, yes, he's going to bring something good out of it. The the James one, too, consider it pure joy when you go through trials. Wrong time. Nope, that's not what it means, you know. I mean. Just totally inappropriate. And I always tell people, you know, if you're struggling, if if somebody's lost somebody, before you move in as the counselor, you've got to be the comforter. Because the comforter is the empathy that you actually need. You you know, I just needed somebody to pull, pull out their umbrella and sit with me in the rain. I needed them to bring me a casserole. I needed them to be okay with me not wanting to talk. You know, and we always think we got to fill the silence and we've got to have space. Just text people, just bring food, send flowers, tell them you love them, that they're not alone. Be the comforter because the counselor usually doesn't need to come in for a while because those questions, Mm -hmm. they just make people angry. You know, or the answers to those questions where we're trying to find the mystery of God. Oh, come on. His nature is good. He doesn't. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm very passionate about that. I think you're spot on. You know, it's it's I think it comes out of a place of goodness from these other people. Right. But it's really their own anxiety. If they can say something that comforts you, then they can be comforted. Um, Sure. Um, So certainly devastation, loss, grief. uh, We see it all the time can break marriages. Um, How did you guys as, as, as spouses not just obviously grieve and heal on your own, but also help facilitate the healing of each other. Honestly, it would have broken our marriage if we had not gone to get help 
prior to her death. It would have totally ended in our divorce. And I think what was amazing, you know, I always say you can only give what you're full of. So for me, I had, I had projected all of my issues onto my husband, our whole marriage, and he had done the same. He projected all of his issues onto me. And so, you know, I always say, it's so stupid if you go, if he would just change or if she would just change, then I would. I'm like, you're giving away all of your power to someone who might never change, and you're choosing your peace to be contingent on somebody else's choice. That's just crazy. You know, I did that for years, and, and still, I'm unwinding it for sure. But what Luke and I did is we, we, we said, okay, your heart's broken, my heart is broken, and I have a source. I'm not going to take from you I'm not going to suck from you what I think I need right now. I'm going to go and I'm going to get it from the true source. Because right now, if I project what I need onto you, you don't have anything for yourself. So we kind of put this healthy pad between us and went, okay, you do you, I do me. And we're going to live together and we're going to love each other the best that we can because we have so little right now that if we try to take from one another, it's going to be a total disaster. So I would have, if I found myself having very little grace for him, and we processed very differently. I was very open. I was screaming at Jesus. I was healthy. I was like punching pillows. It felt so great. All of my emotions, I knew that energy had to be be released, or it would go towards my son and towards myself and towards my husband. And so I was just this volcano that needed to happen for a while. He internalized everything for a while. And, you know, it kind of goes towards how we process anyway. And we had to have grace for how the other person was was grieving and have no judgment. So if I was looking at him and going, why aren't you being open with me? Why are you so closed down? Then usually I'd go with Holy Spirit. I'd get in my heart and i go, I have no grace for him right now, which means I don't have grace for myself. Where can I have grace for myself right now so that I can actually give that to him? And I would go in the temple portion of my heart. I always say people are so spiritually anorexic. We keep asking God for things that he's stocked us full of. I mean, I am a full Costco. The fruits of the Spirit live (laughs) inside of me. I can go in and eat of patience, of eat of kindness, eat of love. So if I was being unkind to him, it was a dead ringer that I had no kindness for myself and my own process. So I'd go in to me. I'd be like, okay, that's about him. It's not about me. I'm not going to project it onto him. I'd go into my heart, and I would just receive the kindness of God, the grace for my process. And all of a sudden, I'd look at him and go, oh, wow, I'm seeing you completely differently. People have often said I'm a full Costco as well, but they're normally talking about my weight. I appreciate you bringing (laughs) the spiritual dynamic into that. Um, So you talk about having grace for your spouse. Um, so often, again, in our, our, our practice, we see individuals that are just really shameful about how they themselves are, are grieving. Um, mm. How difficult was it to have grace for yourself um, and just allow yourself to grieve in whatever way uh, called for in that moment? Um, and did you ever experience shame in your grieving? Yes, but I had, it was great because I had a great friend and she said, you need to just float down the river and really allow Holy Spirit to be the the edges of the stream. And if you bump into a rock, that's fine. I mean, there were all of my old coping tactics came raring up. I'd written books on overcoming addiction. Every addiction was like, 
use me. I work temporarily. You know, when that level of pain smashes your heart, you're going to you're going to contemplate every old trick in the book that works for a second because you do. You forget about the pain for a minute. And so when those things would come up and say I would I'd blow I mean, you know, our our kitchen counter was stocked with all of these goodies people brought by. And I remember one day I just stood in front of it and I was eat every time I'd walk by I'd eat and eat just because it numbed. It numbed. Sure. And I went, okay, I see what I'm doing and I'd go in my room and I'd go, okay, I'm gonna I have grace for that process. Of course I'm trying to numb. But if you do not give me something greater right now, God. If you do not give me comfort, if the comforter is not real, I will run back to that. You got to give me something right now. And I would just put on, I'd be like, okay, here you go. Here's your chance. And I would have this moment with comforter with that pain. And here's the deal. I always say, you know, it's all about being present because when I'm eating, when I would, you know, struggle with sexual stuff, when I'd struggle with alcohol, whatever it is that numbs you out in the moment, TV, smartphone, whatever it is. If you can just align your consciousness to the present moment, and I go, I'm not running from this pain. I'm going to feel it for a second because I'm not alone in it. That broke something in me. It was all about aligning my consciousness to the present moment, and I would yeah, find the present in the present. That's huge. So you have the, the shame, the grief, the pain, your spouse is dealing with things, and then you have children. Um, yeah. You have other children in the home. Uh, so real briefly, um, tell us about how you experienced the pain, how you grieved, how you healed, and yet still parented. Well, I was so thankful we were with my mom. She's a she's a therapist and does a lot of inner healing. And we just, we were like, we don't really know what to do right now. And I remember she pulled us aside and she was like, you know, I think you should let Moses see the body. Uh, don't try to shield him from your pain right now because that's not real. You're going to, he doesn't think how you think. He feels how you feel. So invite him in as much as possible. And that really shifted something for me because, you know, I didn't try to be something for him that I could not be. I would, if I couldn't get out of bed that day, I'd go, hey, buddy, you know what? Today, mommy just needs to lay in bed and cry. I'm super sad, but I want to be with you. And I would always stay connected to him. I'd go, just want to have an iPad day? He'd go, yeah. And he'd crawl up with me. I'd be like, mommy's sad, but you can be whatever you want. And we'd check in on him a lot. How's your heart? You know, I I want to write a book about parenting from the heart and teaching kids how to be aligned with their heart someday because we were so aligned. It was like, buddy, let's get aligned with our heart. What's your heart feeling? Because it's valid. Do you feel sad right now because mommy's sad? Not you don't have to feel sad because baby Sissy Goldie's dead. What's going on in you? And our kid is so emotionally in tune because of that experience. And we did not try to fake something. We didn't try to fake strength that we didn't have. We brought him our authentic heart. If I blew it that day, if I if I you know exploded or if anger came out at the wrong source, I'd get down on his level. I go, Mommy needs your forgiveness. I'm so sorry, Bubba. My heart is hurting. Can you see it? Can you put your hand on my heart and ask Jesus to put the nices in it? And I involved him in all of my failures. And I mean, he parented me as much as I parented him. And I made sure that I was like this, this person that didn't 
have it all together. But this person that went, hey, kid, I'm going to bring you into my process as much as possible. And he is so emotionally in tune because of it. Yeah. And if you do write that uh, parenting from the heart book, uh, check out attachment research by John Balby. Um, It has great stuff for for parents. Um, But I think that's key. You know, you describe staying, not not trying to stay strong for him or, or, or attempting to separate, make sure he doesn't necessarily see or feel the hurt, but you invited him into that process and remained yeah. emotionally and relationally in tune with him. And subsequently, um, he, he has he, great emotional intelligence. He has great entombment yeah. with you. Um, and hopefully then, if not already one day, uh, uh, in tune with his creator. Uh, that's that's yeah. great words. Guys, um, Krista Black Gifford. Uh, run, do not walk to KristaBlack.com. You can find her on Facebook at Krista Black Gifford Official. Instagram is Krista Black Gifford, and Twitter is Krista Black Gif. Did I get that correct? You did. It's all different because I have such a long name. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Well, thank you so, so much. And you mentioned growing up in West Texas. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Lubbock and in Abilene. Okay. So, territory. (laughs) I went to school in uh, Brownwood at Howard Payne. Oh, yeah, you know Ugly Territory really well. Yes, and actually my <laughs> folks, um, my folks are from Cisco, uh, which is pretty oh, close no to, to, to Abilene. Oh, yeah. yeah, I drive through Cisco all the time to go to Dallas whenever I'm home. So, awesome. <laughs> well, we're neighbors. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the show, and we hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thank you. She was fantastic. Um I loved, you know, again, kind of tied into Dobson, that that betrayal barrier that all of us, uh, to some degree, I believe, had this idea that if we go to Sunday school and if we tithe and if we do all these things, then the path is going to be completely cleared for us. And if we take our kids to Sunday school and we put a quarter in the envelope for them, then when they get older, they're not going to struggle you know, with drugs or bad things are not going to happen to them. And that simply is not the case. You know, she learned that you find the purpose through the pain. I loved it when she talked about how we can have a, a view of God as an abusive God. Um, I've always said that I have a view of God as a, as a weird, but a football coach, someone who ultimately I think I know has my best interest in mind, but is going to make me run wind sprints all the time because it's for my good. Um, but God, you always were horrible at. Oh Lord, I always uh, faked Last. asthma. <laughs> you did. <laughs> oh coach, oh coach, I can't breathe. Need my inhaler. Anyway, but these these very destructive images of God. Sure, He's going to make you win, run wind sprints sometimes, but it's not like uh, He's going to ma- purposely make you miserable for your good. Um, so those destructive views of God, I thought were really really good. And she also mentioned projecting all after the loss of her kid, projecting all of her mm-hmm. issues on her husband. Mm-hmm. and bringing God in as the authority and not herself as the authority or, or even her husband bringing himself as the authority with how you should grieve, what you should think, do, and say, and feel. Um, but God as the authority there was huge. Yeah, she was great. Guys, if you want more about the show, paradoxpodcast.com. You also can uh, find our show notes there. We link um, books, books 
anything really we referenced in in the show so check us that out there paradoxpodcast.com you can also find the show on instagram twitter and facebook it's docs podcast you can find me josh at those three platforms doc josh myers on facebook dr jimmy myers and on twitter and instagram for me it is at j myers fam take care Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. and researched by Dr. Jimmy and Dr. Josh Myers. Special thanks to Life Austin Church in Austin, Texas, and our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Gar. To find out more about the Paradox and to sign up for email updates, go to our website, paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. Probably the one that a lot of us are most aware of, or the thing that, that a lot of parents will tell me is, uh, once I took the phone and all of these electronics away because of whatever consequences, um, you know, after they were gone for a couple of weeks, it's like my child came back. Uh, they say that all the time. And now the, the, the consequence is over and I'm going to have to hand it back to them and I don't want to hand it back to them.